electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight on Fast, we're on the verge of earnings season kicking off. Our traders are primed, ready to tackle the big reports, find out which names they are betting on heading into next week. Plus, the chips get checked. The semis pulling back after finishing off last year at record highs. So where is this trade headed from here? The chartmaster will lay it out for us. And trouble brewing for Starbucks. It's not just a falling stock price that has one of our traders jittery today. We will explain. This is Fast Money. I'm Tyler Matheson in tonight for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, who lost the woodsy plaid shirt from yesterday. The woodsman of Westchester is now wearing whites. Nadine Terman, welcome. And Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much. We start our ch- with our chart of the week, and that would be none other than the 10-year yield breaking out in a big way to start the year. It's up a quarter of a percentage point, 25 basis points in just the past five days, touching its highest level in roughly two years. That is the most uh, sort of rising start to the year we've seen in many a year. So what comes next? We headed to 2% or back down to 1.5%. Tim, what do you think? Well, first of all, in terms of starting the year, Tyler, I've just had one of my New Year's wishes come true, which is that Tyler hosts the show at least once in 2022. <laughs> it's been a while. So it's this been is an a exciting while. day for us all. I, it's too long. And, and uh, maybe they're going to tag you for that New Year's show again. Who knows? Um, so, look, let's get back to the tenure. I, I, I think it's a case where uh, 30% in 13 sessions, we're, we're through those March highs. Um, there's a sense here that some of this really is uh, about new Fed guidance, a little bit more that we got from the Fed minutes uh, on Wednesday. And, you know, without getting too, as we say, wonky on the show, because we try to keep it relatively uh, straightforward, real, real, real yields this week actually have fallen about 25 basis points, which is some sense that people think uh, the Fed could run off the balance sheet a little bit faster. I, I think the most important thing for equities here is we've continued this um, call it dot-com 2.0 crash. Uh, and, and I think it's really the stuff that's well below the surface, but not necessarily uh, you know, considered to be the top four or five NASDAQ plays. And, and I think if you think, you know, we've got plenty to talk about with banks. We've got bank earnings come up. They've obviously had a big run. The resources trade and the reflation trade and the energy trade, these, these, you know, th- these sectors look a lot like they did back in March and in some sense are still below those levels and I think have some room to go. When you say real yields have actually fallen, explain that to the viewer who has to think twice as I do what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm sorry I did that to you. So it, it means that they're less negative. Um, and, and so where we are effectively with the inflation rate, which we know isn't necessarily even accurately reflected, um, it, you have a case where you've actually seen real, real yields come up 25, 30 basis points. All that means is there's a sense here, um, I think that the Fed is going to move faster in terms of bringing down their balance sheet. And, mm-hmm. and that's obviously very important for a lot of different asset classes. Nadine, what, does the, what do these rising yields mean? Take me across the, the, the landscape from equities and, 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 and high growth tech stocks all the way into real estate, if you, if you will. 
Sure, Tyler. And, and what we saw this week also, we think, is just a lot of um, technical selling. So, you know, I think J.P. Morgan puts it at 90 percent of trades are done by computers. So it's not to say if somebody's out there who loves a tech company that didn't do well this week. It was all for fundamental reasons. Right. Is this what you had is rates are up and people who think that tech has long term earnings. They do a discount analysis. And if the denominator is getting bigger in that, it means the top, the LRL ratio is going down. And so therefore they crush the multiples, then the stocks go down. But when there's a lot of technical selling, it tends to be indiscriminate. So if you talk about real estate here, these are all bond-like things. So now tech is trading like a bond. Obviously, fixed income you've got. And then other, other different sectors. There's real estate, utilities, staples, telecom, healthcare. Those all tend to trade bond-like. And so what you have with those sectors is they were hurt this week when other sectors like financials and obviously energy, as Tim put together, and materials do well on that type of trade. So under the surface, certain sectors did fine and other ones got really hurt. Um, but I think that your overall question to Tim is we think the growth of GDP is going to be decelerating this year. And so I would actually say... Um, by the middle or end of this year, um, I don't actually think that you're going to see rates here. I think the Fed's going to say, hey, listen, we're not going to be raising four times. We're going to have to bring this down a little bit. Expectations will come down. Yeah. How about you, um, Steve? What, what do you think? I mean, when I look at rising interest rates, I think on the one hand, it's kind of not the best news for stocks, but often they accompany a fairly fast-growing economy. We've got wage growth. We've got a low uh, unemployment rate. And an awful lot of people saying that 2022 looks fairly good, though acknowledging what Nadine says, it's probably not going to be as fast a growth year as 2021 was. Yeah, so I agree with Nadine. So I, I think what you just touched on, Tyler, is the crux of the issue. It, are rates rising for the right reasons? Are they rising because the economy is doing better? They're mostly rising because of inflation due right. to supply chain issues. So for me, that's not the right reason. So I agree with Nadine. I don't think, I, I think as these supply chain issues ease a bit, you're going to see uh, Chair Powell, Chairman Powell, get off the gas a little bit, uh, so to speak. Why is he going to do that? Because he doesn't want to be responsible for killing the economy. And I understand the market's at all-time highs, but people judge the economy on where the stock market is currently. So even though the economy can handle 2 25 maybe 3% in a 10-year, I don't think we're going to get there. I don't think the markets – I think more of this is, is um, just positioning by traders versus actual mm-hmm. real yields – so to Tim's point, when you look at the nominal yield, and then you, you factor out inflation, you're not really looking at anything grotesque uh, to the upside. But there's a lot of industries, mainly growth that we've seen in the last couple of days. The tech space will continue to be obliterated if yields rise. So let me make sure I'm understanding you correctly here. You think that the Fed chair... Uh, whose hearing I think comes up next week uh, on his reappointment, you think he and the Fed will avoid a major mistake policy-wise by keeping rates moving up fast? You think they'll avoid that? Well, I, I think that the market is just, the market was just absorbing the fact that uh, tightening versus asset purchases. And now when we throw in the balance sheet, I think that was mm-hmm. a little too much, in, even in their minds, 
to to affect upon the marketplace. So I think investors mm-hmm. will use the, use their vote by selling stocks. And I don't think uh, uh, the federal uh, the Fed chairman is going to want to do that, obviously, for political reasons and the fact he doesn't want to oversee a 20 percent decline in the stock market. Right. Right. Regardless of whether he's supposed to be a political organization or not, he watches CNBC. Oh, of course. Of course they do. Uh, <laughs> Pete, Pete, wrap it all up in a bow for us. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, I think that the, the real storyline behind all of this, quite honestly, is the fact that the velocity of this move, and I know we've all been talking about this move in the rates, and especially just this week alone, but it's pretty incredible. Uh, you know, we've watched this thing just kind of move around a little bit, Tyler, for the last year or so, but... I think this most recent move that we've watched out of the 10 years specifically um, kind of caught a lot of people probably off guard because they, they assumed we'd be in the same kind of a trading range that we had been in. Suddenly we went from 1.5 to one almost 1.8 one um, in a hurry. So that's, a, that's an incredible move. With that move, we were seeing an unbelievable amount of option paper playing for the upside in the financials, in a lot of the other areas that, uh, that Tim and Nadine were talking about, some of the material space as well. Obviously, energy's been incredibly strong as well. All you got to do is look at, if you look at the price of crude and how rapidly that's moved from the upper 60s towards 80, and then you look at the 10-year from 1.5 up to 1.8, um, we're talking about a lot of really, really rapid moves to the upside that I think are catching people a little bit off guard. But that's been very, very good for a lot of these financials. And you can see each and every day, and I see the volumes that are incredible, Tyler, buying more and more and more. And it's going to be interesting as we start to kick off the earnings week with the financials because that's always big. That's always something that's very important. We're always keeping a very close eye on that. I think that's going to be something to watch very, very closely. Yeah. Do they actually live up to what everybody's looking for from the financials? I think they do. Financials doing well, energy doing well, as you pointed out. Uh, but one area that is not doing well are semis. They got smacked down, the SMH Semiconductor ETF, uh, down nearly 4% this year. That means uh, five days this year. But the chart master sees some big opportunity when the chips are down. Let's get to Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, talk us through it. Tyler, how are you? I'm yes. great. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. There's a big debate going on whether you abandon uh, growth stocks and embrace cyclicals. And that's always uh, a debate that goes on. In fact, the past three years, there's been this thought that you grab cyclicals and every time one's tried, it's not worked. Um, let's look at a couple charts. I think semis are going to do very well this year. First is a long-term chart. Now, this is a ratio chart. It's not looking at the SOX index or the S&P. It's looking at the relative performance of the SOX to the S&P. And you'll see that circle, that's the dot-com peak. And it shows just in one year how steep that relative performance was, whereas this has taken 10 years and we're still not back there, which is to say, are semis ultimately going to make a new relative high to the S&P? I think so. And for those who care about valuation at 28 times versus a market multiple of 26, uh, I think that's a good deal. Next chart. Let's look at the SMH. So that's the Van Eck ETF that captures semis. And there are no lines on that chart. As you can see, no judgments, no arrows. So the next chart, let's put some lines in. What this is, is the SMH. And that is a mathematically perfect 45 degree. That's the past year and a half, 18 months. And we're simply down to the bottom of that. Uh, I'm sorry, the midpoint of, of the channel. Could we go to the bottom? Okay, but the point is this is up and to the right, and it's just rested for the better part of eight, nine, ten weeks. 
Uh, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Final chart. Uh, this is a ratio chart again, and this is, and we just broke out to new highs. This is the relative performance of the ETF SMH to the QQQ. And I think that's a very important. So SOX were up 41% last year, almost double the S&P. And they, for the first time in the history of the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, outperformed the S&P for three years in a row. Do they do it again? My hunch is yes. Nadine, what do you think there? There's a pretty compelling argument there as you see uh, those semiconductors beating the QQQs uh, finally after running in that, as uh, Carter describes it, channel for quite some time. Tyler, I agree with Carter there because, number one, you've got the secular growth story. Number two, this week, like I mentioned, was more of a trading algorithm repositioning uh, decline in tech and semis versus a fundamental story. No one's saying that semis are broke. It's more of a trading, a rates play, people repositioning. And so there's opportunities here. So I agree on the SMH. The price is about 296.89. Our trading range has a low end of 296.38, so just under that, and a top end of 316.25. So you'd get 6.5% upside to minus 0.2% downside. So that's right there to be able to buy. And I think you're going to start getting more to fundamental trading stories once earnings season goes through. Mm -hmm. In fact, this week I bought a little bit of Taiwan Semi. Even I can do the math you just described, Nadine. Even I can do that math. Six, $6 up, $2 down. Okay, I got it. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, earnings season kicking off next week. How you should position yourself ahead of these reports. We'll have the trades on the names next. And later, Starbucks shares cooling off this week. What's behind this venti-sized move lower? Those details ahead. Much more fast in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back, everybody, to Fast Money. Believe it or not, earnings season back in action next week. Big names like Tilray, KB Home, Delta, Wells Fargo, all set to report. So we thought this would be the perfect time to play a little game of... Trade it or fade it! Yes, indeedy, that's right. I need one of those long microphones. Uh, it's Trade It or Fade It Earnings Edition. Let's kick things off, folks, with Tilray. Pete, you go first. Trade or fade this name and why? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to fade it, and I know that I'm going to get a lot of press pushback on that, but... 
Just look at what the stock performance has looked like. And I think when you look at that and you understand that, that Tilray is losing a little bit of their share, and they still, for as long as they have been around, when are they going to make money? You know, that's been the frustration I've had with a lot of different companies. And you can understand why a lot of the selling that we've seen this past week in NASDAQ names is the, are those names that just don't have the ability to really make enough money. And I think the cash burn is part of the issue that they've got. Their, their cash burn is nothing compared to many. But when you look at this company, great company. Uh, we, we, we all loved it at certain times. But unfortunately, I think its times are also in the past. I think it's going to go lower. Tim, you've got the other side of this one, but uh, you've got an argument there is down 43 percent over the past 12 months. Yeah, I'm going to trade. I'm going to definitely trade this one. I full disclosure. I own this. It's a core position of my ETF. It was also a pick in the, of mine in the stock draft. I remember. But I, I would respectfully disagree. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I would respectfully disagree <laughs> with Pete on on the cash burn. It's 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 actually, you know, it's all relative, of course, because Canada is not the exciting market in cannabis. It's really the U.S. market. But they're the they're the best operator in Canada. They are breaking. Even. In fact, they've been EBITDA positive the last six or seven quarters. Their global business is probably the best of any of the folks out there. And I think they understand brands. Erwin Simon certainly does. And I think as a CEO in a sector that's really about CPG, I like it. There's a lot of issues in cannabis right now, but that's kind of the point. Um, These stocks have been hammered, and and I think this is a great entry point. All right. We're going to move on to Wells Fargo now, a company that's moving big time into money management. Nadine, trade it or fade it? This one, I'll trade it. So it probably has a stock price that looks the opposite of Tilray. But, you know, you look at some of the things we have to have for this name. So recent rise in the 10-year check, you know, rate hikes later this year, check, boost in net interest income, check, loan growth probably going up, check. So you got a lot of things in their favor. They're also probably going to lay out the steps on how to um, get to peer efficiency ratios and probably reduce their expenses. So I think they'll probably talk a good game this quarter, so I would not short into it. I'd hold it, but for those of you looking for a great entry price, I would look closer to 47.85. So right now I see you know about three to one downside to upside. So this is not the time to go enter Wells Fargo, but I think you can hold it into the print. All right. Uh, let's see. Steve, what do you think here? I, I think Nadine made the case to fade it. I'm a, I'm a fader of it. So uh, I, I, she basically we're on the same page. All those checks that she had kind of got all the good news out of the way. This is a stock for obvious reasons that had headline risk. It definitely underperformed. Now it's one year performance is up 64%. JP Morgan is up 23%. Berkshire is up 37%. So there's a lot of stuff that is, is already in. So the risk reward, I agree with Nadine. It's a fade. Delta is on the runway, Tim. <laughs> what are we going to do? I'm going to trade it. Um, flying high. Look, premium, most, uh, I think the premium brand in airlines, in fact, I think they're more focused on premium. That will be a higher percentage of their margins than it was even pre-COVID. Uh, I think to the extent that this is the best balance sheet, I think this is a company that did not have to dilute you know, effectively the equity base during COVID, I, I recognize there have been some headwinds around, uh, you know, Omicron, but but ultimately Delta, in terms of their capacity, I think as we look for efficiency out of airlines, and that's ultimately what had been driving re-rating back in say 2016 through 18. I think Delta is in the best position to actually be as conservative on capacity while their costs have actually been moving sideways to slightly higher. And that's not great news. Airlines are moving higher. I I think the trade is still there. Nadine, uh, clear for takeoff or send it back to the gate? (laughs) I think it's going back to the gate. I think everybody's recommending Delta, and that's when I want to take the opposite Uh, side of that trade. So I'm more concerned. 
Virtual classrooms are pushing out demand recovery for leisure and corporate. If you have to buy this name because you got to stay with the benchmark, go closer to 38.92. So I'm a fade it. All right, fade it, says Nadine. All right, sticking with earnings, folks. Kramer's got the setup for one big bank reporting results next week. Check it out in today's Investing Club newsletter. Meantime, Starbucks is up next. Shares getting roasted this week. So what gives the coffee talk is next. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, shares of Starbucks losing steam on the back of two bearish calls by RBC and Oppenheimer, both firms downgrading the coffee chain, citing weaker profits in the near term. Analysts pointing to rising costs, especially from the labor market. Tim, you flagged this move. What's the trade on Starbucks? I noticed this. They don't seem to be as fulsomely staffed as they used to be. That speaks to labor. Look, uh, the experience at Starbucks as a consumer, I love Starbucks. I've been an investor for, for years, and I've been a, a diehard consumer. I will wait longer at Starbucks, but the wait's become too long. And the coffee, I mean, i got to tell you, I've been getting a lot of watery coffees. I go to Starbucks for that robust, burnt-tasting coffee. I'm not getting it. You can imagine that first cup of coffee disappointment is not great. The, the biggest issue here, though, look, uh, it, the company on the gross margin, if you look at the operating margin, uh, they ticked down a bit in 21. They've been able to offset labor prices and investments by higher prices. I don't think they can do that. It's getting to a place where their pricing power may be called into question. Um, if you look at the stock on the charts, you know, they broke that that gentle uptrend. The stock's been largely dead money since April of last year. But but, you know, 107, you know, it, it looks like it's kind of in no person's land. And I, I, I worry about the stock from an investment perspective. The valuation's not terrible, um, but it's not cheap. And, and I do think that the stock uh, has to deal with also public perception problems here. The, the service issue in Starbucks has been hurt by Omicron. All right, Pete, what do you say here? Uh, are you a fan or not of Starbucks? Well, no. I'm, matter of fact, I totally agree with what Tim's saying. I mean, when you look at it from a valuation standpoint, you're looking at a mid-30s sort of a forward P.E., that seems pretty steep to me, Tyler. And as Tim points out, the margins coming in a little bit and labor. Labor is an issue for so many right now. It's been a problem, obviously, throughout the pandemic, but it still continues to be a problem. And that is hurting the franchise. It's hurting all of what they've built up for all these years because it's just not the same. So because of that, I totally agree with Tim's points on, on, on what he was saying in terms of what it looks like right now. I think they will be able to fix this. But it's going to take a while because the labor shortage is still here in front of us. And I think that's going to take time to play out. So for right now, I think it's better to be on the sideline. Two thumbs down on Starbucks. Let's go to our final trades. we got about a minute. Nadine, you get to go first. I'm going to stick with mine yesterday. The gold, GLD, is the ETF. You still have about 2% upside to 1% downside, um, but I see it being a good play for this year. Buy it at 166 or below. All right, let's go on to uh, Tim uh, next. Go ahead, Tim. Look, DraftKings, the, the same secular story of a year ago is alive and well. It's had a brutal, brutal run back in DraftKings. Back in on DraftKings. How about you, Pete? I've loved energy for the better part of a year. I'm going to love it this year, too. I think energy's going higher. The XLE. Off to a great start up one year, 48%. How about you, Steve? Brother Pete almost talked me out of this final trade. Tilray, it's a very expensive option. I think the upside risk-reward Tilray. All right. Thanks very much, folks. And that does it for us on Fast Money. Don't go anywhere because we're going to stay right here with you as Option Actions picks up next.
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.